Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thanks for joining me today. I hope your day's going well. We're going to have a couple of great hours together. God Talk's coming up in just a minute, so I'm going to go right to Proverbs chapter 10, where it says, The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. So I'm praying I'm not a chattering fool. And then it goes on to say in uh, verse 9, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So I want to talk about that, that whole secret life that sometimes people lead, that, that hidden part of a person's life where they don't necessarily talk about it, but they, they still live it. I'm going to bring that up with the, with the guys. If you have a question for the guys or anything you want us to chew on, let us know what that is. Send me a text, 877-933-2484. We're adding another special guest to the panel this week, Reverend Johnny Hunter. So... That's going to be the latest addition to uh, today's panel. We also have Dr. Peter Kapsner. We've got Pastors Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Secret Double Agent Justin Jepson. That's the panel. We'll take a short break and be right back. Every day across the growing media platform of Faith Radio, we invite all who tune in to discover Jesus as the anchor of our souls, the firm foundation on which we build our lives. I'm Neil Staven, manager of Faith Radio, inviting you to be a part of what God is doing through this ministry that now reaches across the country and around the world. Daily Bible teaching and faith-filled conversations remind us to hold on to God's promises and rest in His love. During these trying times, we're not shrinking back, we're stepping up. That's why we're asking for your support. Now more than ever, the world needs hope, and the only hope for the world is Jesus. We're committed to deliver the message of hope in Christ each day, but it takes the investment of committed friends to make this outreach possible. Faith Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and our spring fundraiser is just around the corner. So pray about your part in keeping Faith Radio on the air, and then call 877-93-FAITH, or you can make a gift today online at myfaithradio.com. the show. So glad to have Guy Talk happening this hour. Let me know what your questions or issues you would like us to talk about. 877-93-FAITH. I'm awfully glad to welcome to the Guy panel today my friend, uh, Reverend Johnny Hunter, who is uh, the director of the Hospitality House Youth Development in Minneapolis. And we're awfully glad he is here with us. Uh, gentlemen, let's welcome Johnny. And Johnny, say hello. Hello, uh, Bill and team, yeah. pastors and doctors. Uh, <laughs> good to be a part. Uh, hope I can add a little something, but just to be here is a great thing. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to well have Johnny. you here. So, uh, Johnny. Great to have you with us. Johnny, I'd love for you to talk about Hospitality House and give our listeners a little idea of what it's like, especially in this period of kind of lockdown, and the, the youth that come and, and show up at Hospitality House and how it's affecting them. 
Yes, sir. Well, uh, Hospitality House is celebrating this year 60-year anniversary, and I am a product of Hospitality House. So I am glad to be here uh, at this time of this hard time. Um, our kids are, again, anytime you trap kids in a house uh, and tell them to stay home, it's got to be a little disruptive of growing up here on the north side of Minneapolis myself. Hospitality House serves uh, kids and their families um, in many different ways. Uh, we have a, we had an after-school program uh, that uh, is now closed down, but we're still doing a lot of virtual uh, communication and studies with our family. Uh, it, it's uh, also an athletic uh, program where we have many, many basketball teams and baseball teams, which are now on hold also. So it's really affecting our families in all all aspects of life, Um but it also bringing our families close together, uh, spending more time uh, with the children and parents at home. So we're just trying to be a help in any way we can. Uh, we're providing food. We're providing uh, electronical communication. Uh, our teachers are staying in touch with our kids by Zoom, which a lot of people are doing now. Uh, so we're doing everything. We're, we partner with the uh, nutrition center to make sure all families have food on the table, and also with Minneapolis Police Department, who uh, helps us in many ways with bikes, food, uh, anything that we can we need. They're there with us also. That's powerful. And that's a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. that's powerful. Now, I don't often quote Sigmund Freud, but he said uh, that. Uh, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. Panel, speak to that. Mm. Who wants to jump mm. in? Jepson, you, how, Agent Jepson, why don't yeah. you start? Agent, I appreciate that upgrade, or I don't know, downgrade, whatever, yeah. side grade, whatever that is. That's new title. Um, that's fun. No, I, you know, you were quoting that idea about integrity, and, you know, I just, I'm just seeing the convergence of that idea of integrity fatherhood, hospitality of, you know, really, you know, that idea of a father, um, of being a paternal figure is really one that sets the pattern for the child. And so I think that really the perspective of, of a child is so much influenced by the pattern that's set before them by that father figure. And so not only is that the protection, you know, um, physically or emotionally or provision physically or emotionally or spiritually, but it's it's a it's a it's a decompartmentalization um, to have an, an an integrity of of life, a wholeness, a holistic approach. Kind of what what Reverend was talking about. It's 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 helping out in every aspect of life. So really, it's the father being involved in every aspect of life is really I think is setting forth that holistic pattern of what life of the kingdom's vision of a holistic life looks like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And just to piggyback off that, uh, I think of uh, the Father uh, uh, just like my life was without Jesus as being my father. It was uh, uh, all over the place. A father is uh, very important in the house, in that hospitality house. Eighty-five uh, percent of our families are, uh, you know, people without fathers in the home 
on a regular basis. And so there's a lot of chaos in the home, in in a child's life when they don't have that male figure to lay down the law, so to speak. Uh, because when kids grow up and start being uh, teenagers, especially boys, they start bucking against the mothers, uh, which we have a lot of. And then I come in and play that father figure a lot of times to straighten kids out. Speaking of chaos, Peter Kaffner, what's going on in your house? <laughs> well, hey, you know, thanks for playing the chaos card right away. Sure, like well, I, figured. I, don't have, I don't have an agent in front of my name, so, you know, this this whole show, I don't know, Bill, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we have five kids at home. Uh, I've referenced it a bunch, but, um, you know, Justin and I did a bit of a chapel podcast earlier this week, and we were talking about his kids. Uh, are, what, what, how old are your kids, Justin? They're two and, like, somewhat newborn. Three and ten months. Oh, oh yes, exactly, what? Bill. Good memory. That's yep. A- yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for me, with five kids ages 10 to 20, it's, um, you know, we're going to grade on each other's nerves from time to time, having been uh, stuck in the same house together. But it's a little bit of a different deal when uh, they can at least dress and feed themselves and, and all of what's going on there. So, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's good. And, and um, different time, I was reflecting the other day as the roads started getting a little bit busier and a little bit more chaotic uh, compared to even a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not sure that I'm ready to go back to that just really extremely fast pace of life. The the forced restrictions have made things a bit simpler. And, and of course, you know, that's all in the in the midst of the downside that so many people around the world have experienced. Obviously, the death rate is something that I can't even wrap my head around anymore. The numbers just get so big, they almost don't mean anything. And, and <clears throat> that's a terrible place to be because every one of those individuals plus Many of their family members and friends and extended uh, family have been deeply impacted by this. But I was with somebody the other day and said, you know, we can both acknowledge the difficulty of the crisis and acknowledge the silver linings that may come out of it, because that is a bit about how God works, right? He brings good in the midst of stuff. And um, I'm not ready to go back. I think I realized how fast my, my life was and how quick paced it was. And I'm hearing from a number of people that are saying similar things. And I, and I think it's fair to ask the question. Why are we moving at such speed? What are we trying to prove? What are we trying to do? What are we aiming towards? What could we create space for that we otherwise don't? Because life does, Bill, for me, I often feel way too chaotic, and, and it hasn't as much the last couple of weeks. Oh. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, if you guys are just going to grunt, I'm going to take a break. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it's real interesting for about, you know, two seconds that I go, okay, anybody want to talk? I know we don't have eye contact in the studio. Well, if, if you want to delay your your, uh, um, your break, I, just another thought that came to my mind. I was just, again, reflecting upon your first question of the father figure yeah. of integrity. But then I, you know, that idea of hospitality, I think is, um, I think so often sometimes it gets missed. Uh, attributed to just maybe the mom. I think sometimes we get the the picture of the you know June Cleaver pulling a fresh you know pan of cookies out of the oven and a cool glass of lemonade. But I think that that hospitality is really creating a space for for belonging um, and acceptance and but also also developing that sense of that sense of purpose. And so um, I think that's just as much the father. The, you know, it's the, both the father and the mother, but essentially, essentially the father setting a tone and a pattern for even what Peter is talking about, even a pace of life. So I think if 
you know, I, I've noticed, even just when my kids are young, that if I'm frantic and if I'm chaotic, it doesn't take too long for them to catch that same mentality. Um, but if there's a peace and there's a calm and there's a, um, you know, a sense of purpose that I have and, and I'm just I'm fully present in that moment, I can really tell the way already, the way that that's shaping and impacting them. And to Peter's point, that's definitely something that I've this season has allowed me to cultivate in an intentional way and something that is a rhythm that I want to intentionally, by God's grace and with the help of others, maintain uh, beyond this kind of season of lockdown. It reminds me of that line, what you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Hmm. All right, let me, take, let me take a break. Guide Talk is happening, and we will take what any question you have for us, 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest along with Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Justin Jepson, and Reverend Johnny Hunter. We'll be right back. with us today. Guy Talk is underway. Got a great panel. Added Reverend Johnny Hunter into the mix, along with Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, out of the book of James in chapter 3, it talks about the power of the tongue, that destructive element that we can both praise God with and curse man. So what would be your reaction to this statement that the tongue can set the whole course of one's life on fire? Mm-hmm. Well, not only have I seen it, I've probably done some of that, <laughs> as yeah. I think we all have. Good point. Because we can say some really stupid things that we don't realize how it affects somebody else at the time we say it. And yet, for children especially, uh, sometimes for a spouse, sometimes for somebody else in the church or in life, it has a deep impact. And I think the older I've become, the more I've learned to listen more and talk less, because I really want to hear what other people are thinking rather than me just telling them. So. Yeah, I've got to watch my tongue. And you know, Bill, in that same chapter, it says, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. And so, you know, because I can't tame my tongue, what I do, like before I go see friends, before I got on this radio show, I pray, Lord, control my tongue. Mm. Uh, when I'm with my friends, help me not have humor that's, you know, uh, cutting or, or hurtful. And just because I can't tame my tongue, I know God can tame my tongue. So I think to regularly pray about your tongue before you go to be with people is an important thing to do. No, that's really really wise, Tom. Tom Brock. Mm. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Mm. Anybody yeah, else want to ju- jump in that, on that? Go right ahead. That old adage of, you know, the sticks and stones will break your bones, names will never hurt you. But, I mean, you know, we, we that's obviously not, not true. And I think... Um, you know, the James also uses that that really provocative picture of the tongue being a rudder that you know that really does mm-hmm. set a, set a course. And um, maybe I'm just feeling really connected to that father statement, but I'm just you know I, I keep going back to that of that idea of integrity and fatherhood and like uh, just the words that that we speak um, uh, are is so important and not only sets the course for our lives, but it also can really set the course. For other people's life, you know, I'm reminded you're quoting Proverbs, Bill. But I love the as the Proverbs 23 
1929-13, that death and life are in the power um, of the tongue. And I think that's that really is compelling because, I mean, as we're made in the image of God, if, you know, obviously our, our voice and our words are not as powerful as his, they have creative power, but there's a sense in which so, so, so do ours, not in the same way, but there, there really is a power there that, as Tom was saying, we, we need to keep that in check and under the control and influence of the, of the Spirit. And especially what fathers say kind of determines what, who, their, who the kid thinks he is. I mean, we were talking about dads mm-hmm. earlier uh, and uh, about Johnny not having a dad in the house. I had a dad mm-hmm. in the house, a, a great mm-hmm. guy. Everybody loved my dad, but he just never had time for uh, his family. And so he was a workaholic. And so I grew up with, uh, you know, just not connecting with my dad, and that caused problems for me. So I just mm-hmm. want to uh, encourage any dad listening to this, even if your kid's grown up, try to spend quality time with your kids. That The father wound in our culture is that a lot of families don't even have a dad, and a lot of families that do have a dad, the dad is so caught up in other stuff that he's not spending quality time with his kids, and that can really mess your kids up. You're preaching, boy. <laughs> yes, sir. He does that a lot. He does that a lot, Rev. That'd be my job. <laughs> and, you know, when I think about uh, uh, relationships come into mind and trust with that tongue, because he says confess with your mouth, and then you're building that relationship. And so and so, I, I hmm. take you back on the time that you spend and what you say builds relationship and it makes the time quality and and, and going back on uh, the importance of the whole stay at home um it, it's it's important to me also because of relationship and you get time to plant them seeds in your family's life that sometimes we miss by being so busy so God has mm-hmm. slowed us down to help our faith. Because what's the most important thing is salvation. And, and so we really want our families and the people we get in contact with is to have salvation. So we get to plant seeds in this time of slowing down, staying at home, and uh, speaking into our family and friends' lives like we're doing today. So it's very important to me to, uh, uh, you know, have this time just to build trust with the family. Beautiful. Earlier when Peter was talking about the fathers, I couldn't hear him on my end at all. So I know it was good. Oh, it was very good. I, I couldn't hear <laughs> yes. anything. It was stunning, but, Tom. Stunning. I wouldn't go I back, to, go back and listen to I the just, recording. I just say no, it was good. No, I didn't say stunning. No question. <laughs> let, me, let me add to that just from this thought or point of view. And I think it answers mm-hmm. kind of both questions. The Lord has put certain laws in the universe. All of us know that if we stand in a second-story window with a concrete driveway below and jump out of there with bare feet, we're probably going to break our ankles. I mean, there's no mystery around that. Fathers in the home are no mystery. It is God's design. We as a society have decided we don't like that design. We're going to come up with all the other kind of designs. And so, you know, my, my you know... Susie has two mommies or Susie has two daddies. We're creating what we want, and we're going to suffer for that. And we're seeing the kids suffer today. I like it. That's good. 
Yeah. Right, let, let's stay in the book of James here and talk a little bit uh, further down. talks about um, uh, doing, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, uh, how often do you do a little uh, diagnostic on your own heart, your own self, saying, hmm, what kind of envy do I have or selfish ambitions do I see coming out of my own heart? Hmm. Kind of a personal question. You know, Del, if I can just jump in on that one too a little bit, is is I, I think early in my Christian journey, I would have said I wouldn't have taken a lot of heart inventory. Um, I, I think I didn't have a real understanding of what some of the invitations might be within the, the Christian journey and following Jesus. And so I, I spent a lot of time wanting to control my exterior behavior for the outside world and trying to look the part of being a Christian, whether it was having the proper radio stations on or having the proper clothes or saying the proper words, showing up at the proper places, those kinds of things. And and I'm not saying that that's all bad, but but I didn't realize early on how much there's a connection between what goes on in your heart and what happens then in your behavior for the outside world. And and, uh, and, and I, I think I had a disconnect there for a long time where you can harbor so many different things in your heart and, and you think you can sort of hide it from the outside world, uh, but that gets to be a very, very tiring journey uh, in the Christian faith. And, and, and I think the invitation, you know, when Proverbs says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life, meaning that uh, if your heart is the place where your attitudes are and your heart is the place where your dispositions and your values truly are, whatever, you, whatever else you try to hide from the outside world, it's in there. Um, the work of the heart actually becomes far more important than the work of the behavior because your behavior is gonna naturally mm-hmm. flow uh, according to what's going on in your heart. So it's a, it's a scary task to go into your heart and to be honest, uh, and even probably the worst and best thing that you can pray is ask God to reveal the things that are in your heart. It's sort of the prayer of the psalmist, right? To search me and know me, oh God. And uh, it's hard to discern what's in your heart otherwise. You, you need to invite God's Spirit to come into that and show you. Mm-hmm. But then His beautiful grace comes in to begin to transform that. And suddenly, you become, over time, an increasingly integrated person where you actually have love in your heart and you actually have love in your behavior. You actually have honesty in your heart and mm-hmm. you actually become an honest person. And that's the invitation, mm-hmm. but it's not easy work. It's scary work. Yeah, yeah. I would say Jackson is a theologian um, and God rest his soul. <laughs> but I think the one song that he wrote or that he sang mm-hmm. should be sung in church. And that's the one about the man in the mirror. And the lyrics mm-hmm. say, you know, <laughs> I'm looking in the mirror. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. I want to make a change. And I want to make that change. The truth is, very few of us are willing to look in the mirror at ourselves. We are always right. We always know what's best. We always know what we're doing. We always understand our motivation. And yet, the way it affects others is really powerful. And so mm-hmm. I do believe that self-examination is something that we don't teach well in the church. It's something we have to teach in the church, and it's the message came from Jesus long ago, way before Michael Jackson. All right, let me take a little, let me take a little break. We'll be back with uh, Guy Talk. Let me know uh, what questions you have, if any, you'd like us to discuss. 877-933-2484 is the text line. 877-933-2484.
Guy Talk is happening. Loving this. Uh, Agent Justin Jepson had to leave us. So, gentlemen, we're, <laughs> we're less ju Justin right now. He had to take off. Aww. But don't take it. Don't take it too personally. It was none of us. All right, so 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I had a, a listener send in a question saying, um, would you talk about uh, why people leave following Jesus to do the occult thing? I have four or five friends who did that, and I'm heartbroken. Well, I think that that's a tough topic. But what I've observed, because I've had to deal with this a lot in my ministry, is that one of the major reasons, I think, is that we have not practically communicated the truth of Jesus very well through the church. What I mean by that is this. People can get into deception real easy. It takes no effort. Getting the truth across takes a real effort and planning. What I had to do is, and I had people do this, and I had to look for clues in their life to try to figure out what was going on. One of the things I found was this. They usually have a deep disappointment or hurt in their life with the church or with a Christian or with a pastor, and they feel let down. Or they've gotten isolated in some way from Christianity, and nobody's taken the time to contact them. I think the one that I think is really scary is I found people that move in the occult, many of them had to have a desire for revenge in their heart. They've been hurt. Now, what does Jesus say if somebody hurts you? Forgive them. What does the occult say? Cast a spell on them. And for some people, that is incredibly appealing. And so the past hurts build up, and they're confused, and they don't know what to do or where to go. And yet I have found there are real answers to this problem if people want to explore them. Mm, that's good. And you know, it's so funny, Bill, um, but before we left, I wrote down the gospel is the truth. And why do so many people become people pleaser than sticking to the truth? Yeah, great and, point. And, yes, and, and that's a big piece to me why uh, people fade away from the gospel, because Jesus says, that I will draw all people to myself through the word of God. When you start going away from the truth that might hurt some folks sometimes, like the gentleman said about man and man and woman and woman, and, and start depending on your own, uh, you know, manipulation of the gospel instead of sticking to the truth, people start fading away because Jesus said, I will draw all through the truth mm -hmm. of the gospel. Uh, and so people, when they don't get the truth, they start getting confused and they reach it out to other uh, negative culture, uh, cult type of things that uh, come in. And, and you know, people love the pleasing of the flesh. And sometimes, and a lot of times, the truth don't please the flesh. Hmm. We're trying to yeah. walk in the light. So. Good point. You know, mm -hmm. I remember, I remember, uh, Al Tillich was a, a Lutheran theologian who was extremely liberal. And then after his, he died, a very famous guy, after he died, his wife wrote a book about his uh, infidelity during his marriage. And I remember a professor saying, a man's morality determines his theology. 
and that is if you want to if you want to have adulterous affairs, you're going to have to come up with a god like Tillux, which is you know this permeating pantheistic blurb that you're not accountable to. So, and I'm, I'm thinking of a friend I had at Bethel College, a Christian college, many years ago. Great Christian guy, and now he's into New Age weirdness. And I, I, I mean, I haven't talked to him for many years, but I'm thinking, what got him from being an evangelical Christian, you know, who could really pray and everything else, to this weirdness? And I don't know the answer to that. But if you want to accommodate your flesh, you're probably going to look somewhere other than the Christian faith. And I, I hope that's not, you know, so you're, if you, I, I, I just, I have another friend that was in uh, my Bible study in college who left Christianity for like 35 years and now praise the Lord, he's back. But it was his struggle with pornography and all the guilt that led him to say, finally, instead of saying no to pornography, he said no to the Lord. And so I, I think that's part of why people leave the Christian faith for new age stuff, because in the New Age movement, you are God. You're not accountable to God. You're God. So that, that makes it a lot easier if you, if you want to feed your flesh. Yeah. Peter Capter, you got a thought on that as well? Yeah, no, I mean, I think they, they really hit on it. And, and I'm, I'm just trying to think back how interesting it is that uh, some kind of text like that for Peter would have been written some 2,000 years ago and how applicable it remains today. And I don't know entirely the circumstances back then to which he was writing, but it, it certainly does speak to the human behavior, doesn't it? And I, and I think Tom just referenced yeah. that pretty well, is, is is I think we sort of look for echo chambers, I think, so often. And what I mean by that is we, we sort of believe a certain thing, we become convinced of a certain thing, it might even be something that we're hiding, like a sin or something along those lines. And then, and then we look for those people to kind of affirm what we already believe. And I know very few people, Bill, and, and mm-hmm. I can sympathize with this because I've lived this out myself, I know very few people who live with the heart of humility that say, you know what, whatever the truth of God's kingdom is, I'm going to pursue it with such rigor uh, as an act of worship. And it's not because I have to prove something about God. It's because I know that God has the best intention in mind for my well-being and for the peace yeah. of my soul. And so I'm going to humbly kneel and and yield. And and if doctrine means simply those those ideas about God and his kingdom that align with what is simply true, then I want to pursue those things that are true, again, not to puff up and not to hold it over other people, but simply like the rest of us, I would really like to have a peaceful uh, reality going on in my soul that I can begin to share with other people. And uh, But that starts with humility. And it doesn't start with the echo chamber that says, hey, look, I'm going to find a bunch of people that will affirm what I already believe because I've already become convinced about something in my life. It's It's a different road, but boy, the difference between a false piece of the echo chamber and the true piece of the kingdom is really profound. Mm-hmm. Come on. Hey, I have more thoughts of this, Bill? I think that I've found part of the answer. Not all the answer, but part of the answer. And I've got to go back and look at pastors to a large degree. You know, most pastors are lecturers. When they preach mm-hmm. and when they teach, they lecture. Very few engage the people that they teach or really ask the people to come up with the answers from the scriptures as to how to engage or deal with certain things. I think most Christians don't have a practical understanding how to take the word of God that they hear on Sunday or they hear in a Bible study or they hear in a Bible study fellowship and apply that to the deception, to the things that are going on, to the temptations in their life. And very few of us seem to be able to get that across. I know one thing that touched me last year, I did a week long vacation Bible school in Ohio. 
I had two yeah. sessions per night, two one-hour sessions for five days. And my wife, who's the great teacher, taught me a long time ago, don't lecture, challenge people's thinking, put the scriptures before them, then ask them what they do with it. Well, not only did it go well, but in that church's history of like 75 years of having pastors come in and do vacation Bible school, I've been invited back for this summer. And they've never done that before because the audience actually grew over time, not because I'm a phenomenal teacher, but because I put putting the scriptures back in their hands and saying, you tell me what Jesus would have you do with this. And if they were offline, I'd redirect them. If they were online, we could affirm it. We don't do enough of that. Mm-hmm. And the uh, uh, saying uh, that that was good. And one thing I, I learned to understand in my walk with Christ is that if I don't visit ground zero every now and then and have mm-hmm. some input with the poor, the homeless, the shut-in on a yep. regular basis, I begin to drift. You know, if we watch it, our Father Jesus walk his walk on earth, he always visits ground zero. You know, it ain't always sitting behind the pulpit or working, you know, with the kids that are, you know, got some stability in their life. Every now and then you got to get outside yourself to keep you locked in to really feel the presence of the Holy Spirit is when you're helping them folks that are lost. When he, he wouldn't uh, sat with the tax collectors, when he told Zacchaeus to come down, you know, he had to get in ground zero to really make an impact, but it also, we say this all the time at the Salvation Army, Bill, and you know, we always said, y'all are blessing me so much that to be here, to be able to speak, uh, and, and more than I'm blessing you, you know, because it keeps you solid at ground zero to be able to see how people are hurting and to continue to plant the seeds that people might, that you might never even thought that you touched. Yeah, I'll give the Rev a big amen there. And I agree. And here's one thought I'd add to what you just said, because it makes a lot of sense to me. I worked with a lot of street evangelists. Street evangelists are very independent people who love Jesus and are outreaching people. The problem with street evangelists is that they are not training other street evangelists. They're not bringing people alongside of them in most cases and saying, hey, I'm not only going to go to the community, but I'm asking you to go with me, and I'm going to keep asking until you go. Think about that for a minute. Most of us that have this drive to be out there and to interact with people, we don't take anybody with us. And so others are not learning in most cases how to do exactly what the Lord has taught us to do. Right. Here's a question. There's a new uh, question. Uh, Do you sometimes feel like you race to God with anxiety only to get there and then explain to him how things need to turn out? (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) You know, Bill, I've been making pottery all week, and, and I like to put Bible verses on my pottery for people. You know, and the ones I use, I, I the ones I use the most are have no anxiety about anything, but pray. You know, what is that? Philippians or cast all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Uh, what is that? First Peter. Uh, be still and know that I am the Lord. Because um, I've had a week of of, of some anxiety. And all I can do is get on my knees and talk it out to the Lord. 
And, yeah, do I tell them what to do? I do some. But just not to be able to do that, I would really be a, a basket case. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I put things up in God's hands, God take it, and then five minutes later, I might be chewing on it again. Oh, sorry, Lord, I give this into your hands, I thank you for this problem, and I trust you're in control of it now. And that gives me peace. It doesn't totally make the anxiety go away, but cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Amen. Amen. A church uh, pastor friend of mine at the end of a uh, leadership meeting actually prayed this prayer, and it threw everybody off. It really upset people for a good reason. He said, Lord, thank you. We've decided what to do. We think we've got it all figured out. We hope you agree. Amen. (laughs) And think about how often we do that. You know, instead of starting with, Lord, what would you have me do? And then really moving Mm -hmm. into that beyond this cursory, you know, one-minute prayer in the beginning, but really searching the Lord's heart and mind in prayer and in His Word. All right, gentlemen, let me take a little break. Um, Let me know if you've got a question you'd like the guys to uh, discuss. 877-933-2484. My distinguished panel today is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Reverend Johnny Hunter. We'll be right back. So glad to have Guy Talk happening. We've got a great panel today. Reverend Johnny Hunter has joined us for the first time. Pastor Justin Jepson was here for half of the time, and he had to go, which was okay. And then Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish. I spent like half of this show just introducing everybody again. <laughs> it's good. It's kind, it's of a good. Long, kind of a hard job. So are we responsible for each other? Well, I, you know, I mean, I don't know how somebody might think or phrase that question. I, I guess I'd maybe start by saying um, we are deeply impacted by one another. I mean, we, we started the, at the top of the show talking a little bit about the impact of fathers in our lives. And so if we're going to start with the premise that our actions and our reactions and our relationships affect one another, that you don't just get to live sort of this independent, autonomous life that, that's never impacted, then on that level, we are responsible, at least to some degree. I, I mean, I get it that there's all sorts of directions you could take this, Bill. You know, it, I know, I'm not responsible for somebody else's abuse. I'm not responsible for somebody else's this, that, and the other. Like, I get it on every level. But I think we, we have to be a little careful to sort of hew out the middle ground and say, and yet who I am and how I am in the presence of other people is likely to make an impact, just like it's likely to make an impact on me. We're, we're being formed all the time. And some of that formation is happening in, in how we are with one another. So I would say this, I, I am certainly responsible for the impact that I might or might not make on other people on some level. I may not be responsible for them, their actions from that impact, but certainly I'm responsible for what they have to deal with related to a relationship with me. And Jesus, Jesus said, if your brother sins... Hi there. Go ahead, Tom. I, I find the New Testament brutal. 
In Philippians 2, 4, it says, look out not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. It says, don't think, it is not saying think about their interests or hope things go well. It actually says you're investing in them. And that's a frightening thought because we go beyond just the cursory, how you're doing, what's going on. They actually, you know, the, the uh, Paul is saying here, we've got a responsibility. How far that goes, I'm not always sure. But I know there's a depth to it that I've never true, mined enough to really know. And Jesus said, if, if your brother sins, rebuke him, which means that, you know, we are to uh, help others follow the Lord. Now, once I rebuke him, it's up to him whether he's going to follow it or not. So I'm not responsible for that. But I am responsible to, I mean, <laughs> I always get nervous when I hear a Christian say, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, okay. I mean, I, 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 uh, I met some Christian guy for the first time this week. We talked for 10 minutes, three times he said, oh, my God. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, should I say something? And I didn't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But, you know, we are, uh, if your brother sins, says Jesus, rebuke him. So it, at, at least we got to do it sometimes. You know, I don't think we have to convict everybody that says, oh, my God. But I think uh, there are times that's exactly what the Lord wants us to do. You know, there's times when I, I and I think this is probably a strategy of Satan, where he gets us to use certain words with incredible carelessness, like the, mm-hmm. words, like the words hell or the word damn. Uh, those words should make us shudder in absolute mm-hmm. panicked fear that that mm-hmm. could be your eternal destiny. Yeah. And if yeah. you mm-hmm. use them casually enough, you know, uh, you will find that it just kind of it diminishes its impact. And I think yeah. that's exactly what Satan would want us to have is just make the whole thing seem like it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, think, why, you know, that's why saying hell yeah. is not a good idea. I mean, I grew up with that, Dad saying, oh, hell, you know. And so what's wrong with that? What you just said, Bill, there really is a place called hell. Yes, there is. It's eternal. Yes, there is. People go there for eternity. You're going to use that as a kind of a funny word? Mm, to, no. You know, you know, so. Did you ever have yeah, something come I, out I, of your I, mouth? I appreciate that. I was yeah. just, uh, just going to throw in that, yeah, we do get numb, Go don't ahead. we? I mean, so quickly to so many different things. I remember just on a, on a different example how much in my late teens and early 20s I was sort of enjoying some of those um, violent kinds of movies, whether they're a war movie or a spy movie or whatever it might happen to be. And, and over time, I realized how numbed I had become to the violence. And you almost begin to then sort of celebrate the death of somebody or you celebrate how violently it might happen if, if you're not careful. And that's you know what happens with language. I was I was grateful we ended up having children because then obviously those kinds of movies weren't on in our house. I was watching Barney and and uh, Sesame Street <laughs> and uh, and the Purple Dinosaur taught me quite a bit in in that time. I remember it was about maybe ten years after the fact. I kind of sat down and watched uh, a spy movie again, and my spirit just absolutely recoiled at what mm. I was seeing, and that was good for me. I, I didn't realize how I become numb to it, and so I think. When we are ca- casually and flippantly throwing around this language like this, to your point, um, we do lose uh, just how incredibly um, significant those words can and should be in our lives. I was at a meeting with another pastor. This was not a Christian meeting. It was a different gathering altogether. Some old friends, acquaintances from high school. Anyway, somebody walked up to him, and just like you're talking about, Tom, he says, oh, my God, Steve so-and-so, and without batting an eye. My friend said, yes, that's who I work for full time. And the other guy was so taken back by that. He said, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you mean? And he said, I'm a Christian pastor. 
you were talking about the God I serve. And I'll tell you, it, they, had a, they had a discussion after that went on quite a while. And I wish I could do something that well done, yeah. but I learned from that yeah. experience. I remember my sister was a teacher, and some some kid uh, after school said to her, he he was the ordinary student, and said, well, Jesus Christ. And she said, well, I'm afraid you've mistaken me for someone else. I thought that was a good response. I, all right. Um, another question. Talk about free will. Is, is that a status given by God to all humans? Because if it's a status that's been gifted to us, it's kind of a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> Huge. Well, Bill, I'm sure we've got disagreement on this. I don't believe in free will. If you mean by that, that you on your own power determine whether you accept Christ or not. I don't think anybody on their own power comes to Christ. And it says in Acts that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things said by uh, the Apostle Paul. So uh, I, it's very common in American Christianity that God gives everybody free will. You decide whether you're going to accept Christ or not. My view is the opposite. You know, maybe we had free will in the garden, but Adam lost it and we're all born in sin. And now the only way to come, we come to Christ is, you know, Paul says in Romans 9, not by our—he says— so our salvation depends not upon man or the one who runs or the one who wills, but on God who has mercy. And I believe it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we come to Christ. And because our free will, uh, we're, we're born with—I uh, believe in what's called bondage of the will, not freedom of the will, that we're bound to sin unless the Holy Spirit uh, interrupts our sin pattern. Yeah, I'm not in disagreement with you on that, uh, Tom. Peter, maybe you jump in on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> this is probably the obviously right the most uh, significant or among the most significant theological can of worms you can open. It's probably why does suffering happen, and then how do we understand what would be agency, God's agency in this world, and our agency in this world? And and what I mean by that is what are we actually empowered to do by our free will, and to what degree are we acting out what God's pre-designed plan might be? And it, it's a question that has a variety of different theological answers to it and nuances, and it's sort of tough to land in any one spot because, you know, my, my parents are coming over tonight. They're going to bring some carry-out food with them, and, and I feel like I'm making a choice between a chicken sandwich and spaghetti for the carry-out tonight. I feel like I have complete free will, uh, complete autonomy to make this choice. I could flip a coin. I can do any number of things related to that. And if it's true, Bill, that I do have free will in making this choice, then how far does that free will extend? Does that free will extend uh, in me saying yes to a relationship in my life? Does my free will then extend uh, into places of understanding the scriptures and deciding to act in a certain way? Does my free will even, according to what Brock was saying, uh, is it at all in play if somebody shares the gospel of God's kingdom that I have a capacity to at least respond on some level? And boy, uh, Again, it's, it's probably way too big for the show, but then it you're is. sort of saying, who's, who's responsible for what into the eternal future? Because a lot of people understandably have trouble by saying, if it's all God's agency where your eternal destiny ends up, well, then how is that fair that somebody was ever born? And then there's nuances to that, and it just goes on and on and on. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for any specific position in, in the short time on the show, but it certainly is an important question, and I'm sure a lot of listeners would love to dig into that further. Yeah, that question comes oh, up me, quite often. Let me try to All add to it. T Tom, let uh, me try Paris, to add to that. Yep. Here's what I Luther said, because uh, Tom and I are both Lutherans. 
Luther said that in spiritual matters, we don't have free will. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit. But in terms of a lot of other things, think about it. What if you have somebody come to your office, a man says, you know, I married the wrong woman. You know, she wasn't the woman I was supposed to marry. Now God has bring, brought me the right woman. None of us would agree with that. None of us would say, oh, yeah, that's okay. No, when it comes to basic living, you and I get to choose right and wrong. You and I get to choose who we marry and who we, what we do with life, what vocation we go into. Now we're guided by the Holy Spirit. We still get to make choices. But in terms of responding to Jesus, I'm with Tom Brock totally. That's the movement well, and the draw of the Holy Spirit. And, so there is a freedom and I, there. And, and I know this is a hard topic, and I don't, I don't pretend to understand it all. But I would encourage our listeners, slowly and carefully read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And Paul gets into the depths of predestination. And kind of at the end, he says, oh, the depth and the wisdom of God. Who can understand this, basically? But, um, so, but I would encourage people, read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, and uh, see what you think they say. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being part of uh, the, the panel today. It's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, great to have the Reverend with us today, too. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. The Rev- thank you so yeah. much. It's been fun. All right. Thank you so much for uh, participating. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, I've got a wonderful hour planned. Uh, Joe Cavanaugh is going to be joining me at the top of the hour. And then Pastor Rob Morgan, who might be one of my favorite people that I've ever talked to on the show. Um, I know the guys who are just on the show right now. I hope they're not listening. Uh, all right. We'll take a short break. and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.